0: Hey, music makers, welcome back to Make More Music, the podcast that connects you to music and one another. My name's Chris, and I'm a board-certified music therapist. And if you're new here, welcome. I interview all kinds of music professionals to show the ways you can build a life, a living, and a career in music and music-related industries. Today, I had the awesome opportunity to chat with Bryson Tarbett, who is an elementary music educator. And also runs the That Music Teacher and That Music Podcast blogs and does all kinds of things to spark conversations in the music education community and ultimately provide resources to help you have a strong start to your years and be more effective as a music teacher. So he talks a lot about his new course that he has coming up and what it's like to be a elementary music educator, how he had to shift and the buzzword pivot during all the coronavirus uh, pandemic so let's hop on into it stick around to the end so you can hear a sample of a song he did in an improvisational vocal way with some elementary music ed and enjoy this chat with bryson tarbett of that music podcast on make more music, <music> All right, Bryson. Thanks for joining me here on Make More Music. I am excited to hear all about music education. And, you know, as a music therapist, I've always run pretty parallel to a lot of music educators. So that'll be cool to really dive into. But I'm also excited to talk about your classes you're offering, uh, your podcasts and different stuff like that. So before we get into all the cool stuff you do, you ready for some rapid fire?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to get started.
0: All right, cool. First, open your phone or computer, whatever the last thing you listen to music on, and tell me what's the last track you listen to. Oh,
1: that's a good one. Let me see. It's probably something from Hamilton. Uh, yep, right. that would be enough from Hamilton.
0: All right, that's good. That's good. Um, what is that probably your favorite musical right now, or what, what are your favorite musicals?
1: Uh, that one is definitely a big one. I'm a big fan of Wicked, uh, Billy Elliot, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, pretty much. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty not too picky when it comes to Broadway.
0: That's fun. My cousin is on the Broadway tour of The Lion King. He's oh, fun understudy. Yes, so which obviously is paused at the moment. Yeah. but <laughs> but yeah, so that's exciting. Um, cool. If you were an instrument, what would you be?
1: I would have to say a trumpet, just because I'm kind of in your face and I'm always <laughs> kind of there. <laughs>
0: That's cool. Was Trumpet your first instrument or anything? Uh,
1: it's I te- I started on the French horn and then went into the melophone And so I've been I played the trumpet a little bit here and there, but um, not like in a concert band setting. Usually in like a jazz band.
0: Fun, exciting. A lot of people I've been interviewing. A lot of them, it's either piano or trumpet, and it's just interesting. It was like I would have thought there would be a few more <laughs> entry funny. points into music, but whatever. Uh, cool. What during? kind of all of this crazy COVID-19 and you're kind of wrapping up your school year, what has been inspiring you recently, music related or not?
1: I just, as much as this situation has been terrible, <laughs> I've really noticed how pe- many people appreciate the arts, whether or not that's mm. going to translate into them, funding them and all these different things. That's a different story. But, I, you know, seeing the people in Italy that are singing off of their balconies, mm. seeing the people that are, You know, watching Netflix and these Broadway shows that are, you know, being streamed online and things like that, um, supporting these. These actors and actresses that are out of work and trying to kind of support those uh, foundations that are take care taking care of of them. That's something that it's really kind of been eye opening. I really hope it sticks around uh, because I really think a lot of us understood or kind of were reminded just how important the arts were when we couldn't go anywhere or do anything else. <laughs>
0: yeah, when a lot of the like major label artists are doing like awkward live streams and yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Cool. Well, this should be a good one. It seems like a lot of your brand is even built on, you know, helping those teachers work smarter and not harder. So what is a pro tip or a hack that you practice that you feel like other people should know about?
1: Don't get stuck in your, your classroom. As music teachers, we're often the only one on our campus. And depending on the district, you might be the only one in the district. Um, so just there are so many great communities on Facebook. There's, you know, national and local chapters of professional development agencies. Don't get stuck in your classroom. Reach out to an expert. Find a mentor, um, a music teacher mentor, and just kind of learn from those that have been doing it. But don't be afraid to try something new that's never been done before.
0: Mm, Yeah. Get out of the silo and see what other people are up to. Yeah, for sure. sure. Uh, which your last episode I just listened to and it's, uh, it's funny too, because right now there's so much, you said, uh, I got so much information about problems that I didn't know I would ever (laughs) have. (laughs) Like, so yeah. So you have to figure out how you're going to sift through that, but for sure. So what on a totally different left turn, what is your go-to junk food?
1: I like anything salty. I, you know, mm. don't get me wrong, I'll eat chocolate all day. But if I'm really craving something, usually it's like Cheetos or potato chips or
0: something. I feel you. Completely feel terrible you. for me. What if you had to narrow it down and give me a, the top chip bag if you're at the store and you can grab your favorite one? What are you going to get? Probably
1: salt and vinegar kettle chips.
0: Okay. I'm warming up to salt and vinegar. My taste buds <laughs> are definitely changing because before yeah. they were like foul. And recently I was like, eh, I'm okay with this. So yeah, that's good. That's good. W- lastly, who is either an individual, a project or an organization that you feel like deserves a shout out?
1: I just think that all the educators, honestly, during all this, mm. we, we completely changed every way that we did everything overnight. And a lot of us did that during budget cuts. And we were kind of expected to have answers that again, we didn't know what the problem was yet. So I really think that the teachers, the parents, the students, everyone that's involved in education right now, they, they worked really hard to get through these last few months. And Mm -hmm. I I just, I really think that they, they deserve some credit there.
0: Yeah. And my wife is a high school English teacher, and it's just crazy, the transition. And it's even funnier watching all the people who now go, oh, yeah, that homeschooling is never in our future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's go to the way back. What are some of your earliest musical memories?
1: So probably the first really big musical memories is I, I did a lot of community theater, um, a lot of community musical theater when I was growing up. Uh, My first show was the wizard of Oz. I was tough kid, Munchkin number three. Not that I'm (laughs) not that I'm letting it bother me that I was the third one, but anyway. Um, And I just did a lot of community theater growing up and it ended up being um, a cantor at my church from a very young age. And it just, it was something that really kind of brought joy. And I I really just loved doing it. Um, When I was in fifth grade, I, Move districts into the district that my dad taught in, um, into an arts magnet program, and that was kind of a game changer. Um, so, as part of the arts magnet, I had choir, music, band, mm-hmm. and orchestra, as well as art and drama, pretty much like every day. <laughs> so it was it was a great opportunity, especially in a public mm-hmm. school setting. Um, so I was able to play the viola, I was able to play the French horn, while still doing choir. Even in high school, juggling. College credits and all this stuff, I was still able to do band, choir, and orchestra all four years. Um, and it really just, it's something that st- stuck with me for so long that I can't imagine doing anything else.
0: Wow. Uh, so, w- at what age did you first start your first formal learning French horn or learning viola? How old were you? So, we
1: started band in fifth grade. No, so we started okay. orchestra in fifth grade, and then we started
0: band in sixth
1: grade. Um, and then choir also started in fifth grade as well.
0: All right. So you, had you picked up anything prior to that, or that's kind of when it all started That's really when things
1: first started Um, as as far as instrumental. Before that, I took voice lessons with um, the choir director that I would or the music teacher at the in the arts magnet, uh, who's a good family friend. Um, And then, again, singing at the church. But being able to fully kind of immerse myself a little bit in that fifth and sixth grade time was a really great experience.
0: So did you always do the organized school experiences or did you ever do any kind of organic experiences either with friends or, you know, garage bands or anything like that?
1: So a lot of my experiences, like 99.9, was all just complete, like structured, rigorous, like Mm -hmm. education. And that's honestly something that is, as an elementary music teacher, trying to get my kids to improvise and feel free It's mm. it's a struggle because i didn't really start doing that until i started working with these kids um, i was always one that was very you know kind of by the book i never wanted to be i was never one to, very good at improv- improvisation and things like that um so I, I think it's kind of it's it's a struggle a little bit but i think it, it's pushing me to push my kids to allow them to improvise and to have a mm. little bit more of that unstructured musical um experiences
0: And remind me to go back to that, the improvisation. I would love to talk about kind of your framework for improvising in early music education. But I also want before we even get there, uh, what are some of the highlights, you know, either places you performed shows you've been a part of growing up? What were those things that made you think this is what I want to do with my life?
1: Oh, that's 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 such a loaded question. I love it. Um, So I went to Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp for Three or four years um, at the summer camp. Uh, when it became for the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I was accepted into the international choir program and I did it. And it was mm. absolutely eye opening. I went to Germany, France, and Belgium um, for over a month touring, wow. performing pretty much every day. We only had one day that we didn't have a performance the entire time. Um, and it was so eye opening to be performing um, in these beautiful places all over Europe, um, all these kind of places off the beaten path. Um, and it was just kind of my first experience of how music is really connecting everyone. Uh, and then going back to my kind of fast forward a little bit, um, my senior year of, of undergrad, we went to Italy on a choir tour over Christmas break. And it was it was it was surreal, honestly, it was a chamber choir performance. So there were just a few of us. We got to um see the Vatican. We got to perform a little bit in the Vatican. Wow. Um, and, and it was just, it was just a great experience again, to be able to see the, the way that music connects and the way that music, um, is able to trans, uh, just kind of transcend these boundaries.
0: And also, what part of the country did you grow up in? Because you live and work in, is it Ohio now? Yeah. So I live and did work- Did you grow up there?
1: Yeah. Well, I live and work um, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. Um, okay. But then I grew up in, in Lima, Ohio. It's about Northwest Ohio, so not too far.
0: Okay. What would you say, is there any bit of the local culture that either has impacted the the way you make music or the way that you think about music or where do you think you've- you've gotten that acculturation of music since you've been around the world too, performing. So the one thing that, that, the
1: arts magnet did that was really cool. They brought in a lot of outside people into our school. Um, mm. For one, there was a blues in our schools week we had every, every year. Um, and they would bring mm. in someone, usually someone named pickle. who um, <laughs> was absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, and like one year, I think it was my eighth grade year. We made all of us made cigar box guitars, which was really cool. We talked about the history of cigar box guitars, guitars, you know, we talked about, you know, using the slide and things like that and how we can use those to kind of create the jazz and and the blues and things like that. And it was just such a cool experience. I mean, it was completely immersive. We created an instrument, we painted the instruments, we were making music, we were performing. Um, And it was just so cool to be something to do in middle school, honestly.
0: And then you have dare right after that to talk (laughs) about the cigars. No, but that's cool. So, Do you remember a point that you decided, was it like those trips or, or was it always kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. Cause you said your dad's an educator too, right? Yeah.
1: So my parents were, were both teachers. Um, they are both retired now. Um, but it was especially kind of going from junior to senior year of high school and trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Mm. I always knew that music was going to be something, incredibly important to me and but i was i was struggling whether to go the music performance or the music education route um and it kind of came down to the point where if you know i can still perform with a music ed degree i mm. can't really teach necessarily in like in a public school setting with a performance degree so you know i kind of went in with it saying you know if i don't like this i can still go back and get my master's of in performance or something like that um but i just instantly fell in love with working with the students and i just haven't looked back
0: and you've done what degree path to get to where you're at now?
1: So I did my bachelor of music in music education um, at Ohio Wesleyan University. Okay. I am um, currently in the middle of doing my master's of music in music education with a Kodai oh, emphasis at Capital. Um, that's not quite happening this summer due to all the craziness. Um, but <laughs> so that's that's something that I've been working for towards, and I absolutely love it.
0: Is that kind of like a hybrid model or what does that master's program look um, like? So
1: it's about six weeks every summer for three summers, okay. um, nothing during the year, which is amazing. Those summers yeah. are crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy, those those three, those three six weeks. Um, but I, I did the first year last year and it was um, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it made my teaching so much better this year.
0: So is that where you've started incorporating a lot of the... Um, improvisation through the Kodai method and things like that. I've only vaguely learned about Kodai in music therapy like that it exists. So tell me a little bit more about that approach.
1: So yeah, I had the wonderful experience to do my junior methods placement um, at an elementary school with um, someone who had also done her um, master's in capital at capital with the Kodai program. Um, and to be able to see that sequence, the way that things go really kind of fell in love with, I fell in love with it. So I kind of stuck with it when I got my own classroom. So Kodai basically um, he's a Hungarian composer and mm-hmm. educator. He basically kind of realized that he took look, look, took a look around at the music education, the students of Hungary were getting and realized it wasn't really great. So he and mm-hmm. um, Bill Bartok went around and, uh, collected all these folk songs from Hungary, and then they they put that into um, into a collection. And basically, the whole point of Kodai is um, using music from the um, the the part of the world that your students are from. So, if you you know here in, mm-hmm. in the United States, if you have a population of students uh, that have that are a, a lot from Hispanic descent, see if you can find some um, Spanish folk songs. See if you can find some Central American um, chants and things like that. Um, So kind of using that musical vernacular um, to make these connections matter make them not just these outside things, but actually have them have kind of a footing in the lives of our students.
0: Yeah. And especially it's even funnier because I think in some ways, you know, teenagers as a music therapist, teenagers, music gets slightly more diverse when i go from person to person because of you know nowadays there's spotify and there's youtube and there's soundcloud and there's all these different ways that people are finding music but in a lot of ways a lot of music is homogenizing at the same time so i think saving folk culture whatever you know big air quotes folk <laughs> culture is is super important and just showing you know local history heritage history celebrating those kind of things it is cool what what do you think has been most rewarding for using that method in your school setting
1: well for me i have um I have a decent chunk of my population in my school um, that's from Mexico or South America. So mm-hmm. by having these these chants and these songs that are in Spanish, like some of them, like they've taught me, like counting, mm-hmm. basically, kind of like um ni ni mini mo," but you know, in their in their language and their culture. Um, so I've actually added to my collection from what my students have taught me, which is I think is just an cool. a- awesome way to show how that folk song collection is such a living, breathing thing um but i remember when i first um started when i first did a a first spanish song all of my um all of my students that were have that that um that heritage they instantly lit up and they're like wait a minute you're speaking spanish um mm. and and it was just amazing to see that spark and that instant connection that they had with the the music that we were performing
0: yeah with just a little cultural humility saying like i know i'm going to mess things up And just knowing that like the authenticity, it's like, there's not an appropriation. This is a trying to extend my hand and not be the, for lack of better terms, the white teacher with the whitewashed program. We're going to, we're going to put our neck out there a little bit and go for it. And how, how is that received in Kind of your greater district setting? Because that's probably a lot different than a lot of, I mean, music teaching is a lot different than a lot of the other courses, but do you see an impact uh, across your colleagues and things like that too?
1: I, one thing that I've just kind of gathered from using the way, teaching the way that I teach is I'm trying to connect things a little bit more. Um, Because, again, I don't want to be shoved in my corner. For instance, we did a show last year, um, the second grade where they were learning all about um, the water cycle. So I had a bunch of songs um, and chants and other things like that that were about water or clouds Mm -hmm. or rain. And we kind of morphed this into a show um, with narration of the students basically talking about the water cycle to make it connect to what they were doing outside of the music Great. classroom, but still using that high quality folk repertoire. They were, I mean, they were honestly, most of the songs were not in English. Um, and I, mm. I, which I think is a really powerful way for us to connect our students through music.
0: So for somebody that, <clears throat> whether it's a high schooler or whether it's somebody that is wanting to take a music education career seriously that maybe they had not before, what would people not know about the day-to-day and getting into being, especially in your case, the elementary music ed? What does that look like on an average? Now, you could you could say pre and post <laughs> COVID. You can ex- describe, but eventually we're going to be back to even somewhat more similar to a regular school schedule, I would assume. So- What is that like?
1: I think one thing that a lot of people like, honestly, I don't think I quite understood this until I was at the elementary level. Um, What I don't think a lot of people understand is a lot of the time, elementary music teachers are kind of creating their entire curriculum. Um, Mm. Even if their district has like a pacing map or something like that. um, A lot of times we're starting from scratch. We're coming up with the the repertoire to use. We're coming up with the ways that we're going to teach these different concepts. Um, And while this is awesome because we don't get put into a box, which I, 100% don't want, I don't want to be told exactly what to teach when and how, uh, that's (laughs) just not what I, not what I'm about, but it's, it's a lot. And especially for a first year teacher or, you know, early career teacher, you're coming up with everything all at once, every single day. Um, And, you know, uh, the work that you put in at the beginning of your career will make things easier as they go on. But those first few years, they're really hard. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, especially at the elementary level, we are just trying to stay afloat every single day.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of early music therapy burnout. Is that pretty similar in, I know it's similar in education in general, but music education, is there a lot of early career burnout or people I, basically I would say it, didn't realize it. Yeah. I would say it matches a lot of just the, um,
1: the kind of the similar, um, statistics in non-music education educators. Um, a lot of, you know, people, they realize this isn't exactly what they want. They might, what's kind of nice though, um, is with our, our licensure, a lot of ours, like for instance, mine is uh, pre K through 12 music, just in general. Um, mm-hmm. so while that makes undergrad, a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I could, similar
0: I, to music therapy. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if I
1: wanted to, I could teach band, I could teach high school choir. Um, so there's a little bit of more opportunities there. And then again, if, if, if you figure out this isn't quite for you, you could still go to the performance route or maybe it's the private teaching route is what you want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. So is that pretty common in general to, for schools n- to be more broad or, and not specialize in, you know, choir or band or to maybe even have tracks? Is that pretty common that it's always pretty broad? Well, I
1: think it really comes down to, again, this COVID thing will throw everything else again, but I think it comes down to the marketability of us, Um, you know, universities and states, and they want to be able to, you know, if I were to lose my elementary job, you know, I'm not stuck in a box where I can only apply to elementary jobs. You know, I have that license that goes to other things. Um, I had a friend in grad school that did a, a research project on licensure of music educators. And mm-hmm. the majority of states do have um, a fairly broad um licensure, whether it's as broad as mine is. Um, but I, I think while that is great and it's I understand why they do it, sometimes I think you you have to you can't teach everything, especially in undergrad. You can't Correct. teach it And unfortunately, yeah a lot of times that happens to be um, at the elementary music level is where the stuff that gets kind of left out. And we could, we're told to kind of figure it out um, when the reality is the majority of the jobs are at that elementary level.
0: Mm. So what are you, or what are some of those skills that people aren't getting? Cause this is what you're addressing even in your uh, new business is helping those people. So what What are a lot of the gaps? Where do you find them?
1: Well, I think a lot a lot of undergrad um schools they they work a lot on experiencing the music, which is awesome. Well, clearly that's important. you know, being in a choir, learning how to conduct, um doing instrumental methods. But especially when it comes to the elementary level, there's the pedagogy part that's missing. Even if you know how to teach something, which isn't necessarily guaranteed, you don't necessarily know what to teach. I mean, when I was an undergrad, we talked about learning sequences, but we didn't, we didn't talk about what one would be or like what, how you could, you know, where to find one or, you know, how to make one. It was just make sure your lessons build upon each other. But when you, (laughs) (laughs) but when you really get down to it, it's, it's a lot of deconstruction and a lot of time, um, that I don't think, um, is doing us any favors as a, as a, a profession.
0: So you mentioned, you know, these generic state and national standards. What are some of the standards for someone like me who doesn't know what an elementary music teacher teaches other than the fact that I had elementary music? Uh, What are some of the concepts that are being addressed that, you know, especially when consider people that are talking always about funding the arts, what is being taught through that?
1: I mean, a lot of it comes down to experiential learning. Um, mm-hmm. I know in my classroom, we sing all the time, and that's that's fairly common in a Kodai influence classroom, but that's not all we do. We do instruments, we, we, we compose, we use music notation, um, but not all the time. You know, sometimes we use um, iconic notation instead of using, you know, notes on the staff. Um, but I think it really comes down to using... Um, or meeting the kids where they're at developmentally, um, and then understanding, you know, kind of fitting in where you can put these pieces that are in the standards, um, such as singing alone, you know, using different, um, melodic and, and rhythmic, um, kind of building blocks. Uh, I mean, one thing that, that I learned my first year very quickly is that kindergartners don't necessarily know how to track left from right at the beginning of the year, mm. Uh, don't count on it. They, you, you should assume they won't. Um, so you have to kind of start building these things slowly and kind of working on these soft skills so that you can get to these more higher level musical concepts.
0: So you have transitioned into it's I I don't know, I don't even know what you would call it. You've got a blog, you've got a podcast, and now you're launching webinars and trainings. And so Is it, would you say, full-blown business, right? A side business?
1: Yeah. I started that music teacher... Actually, my first year out of college. So I spent my okay. first year out of undergrad um, working in special education roles in the district that I student taught at. Um, so mm. I actually wasn't teaching music my first year. And I missed it so much. I loved what I was doing, but I missed being in the music classroom. So it all just, you know, kind of one night, I just created a, a music Instagram and followed a bunch of these other music teachers um, so that I could, you know, live vicariously through them. Um, and then I started my own classroom and then, and things like that. I just kind of realized, that there was a, a need for these new music teachers to be able to feel like they're not alone when all it, every other sign is pointing to them feeling alone because of just yeah. all these things, all these things that they're, they're fighting against. Um, and then it just, I realized talking to my audience and talking to my followers and, and all these wonderful people, these other music teachers that are um, a part of this community um, realize that a lot of us feel the same way when it comes to undergrad mm-hmm. and, I think I don't think any of us have any like malicious intent to our undergrad or our alumni but like there's only so much they can teach us in undergrad but unfortunately that means that we we feel a little less uh less than prepared when it comes to elementary music teaching. So that's kind of where I I decided to try to fill in some gaps so that we can help these music teachers so that they can stick around and so that they can be the best teachers they can be um from day one.
0: Yeah, so And how long have you been in the classroom at this point? Um,
1: So I have been in the music classroom for two years, and then I had the year before in special ed.
0: That's exciting. So you're in the thick of all of this, learning all these lessons, and you start the podcast. How long ago did you start launching that?
1: Uh, I launched that in January. Um, prior to that podcast, I would do a midweek check-in every Wednesday um, where I would go live on Facebook and Instagram and just kind of connect with people. Um, and then as that grew, I kind of realized that the interviews and things that were happening over these live things were going to waste because they weren't being able to be preserved as as like a podcast would be. Mm. So I decided to kind of take a break from those and then officially launch that music podcast um, in January of this year.
0: That's great. I love how organic it's all just kind of grown along the way. So um, give me some highlights so far of the podcast. What, w- what would be some of your favorite moments, episodes that people should check out, uh, things like that?
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I just, like an hour ago, recorded the season finale. We're taking a break for the summer. Um, and the season finale was me kind of talking about my favorite episodes. Great. Um, so there's... There's so many. I but I think it really my favorite ones are really the interviews I had. One of my first interview was with Kate Shannon, who's also a music therapist, mm-hmm. um, and she really helped me feel understand how music therapy fits into music education. I love the way that she put um, music therapy and music education are is similar to physical education and physical therapy, and that really clicked something for me and made me understand how they are separate, but connected in a way. Um, that, that was my, what probably my all time favorite, um, interview. Um, but there's so many great interviews of people sharing their expertise, especially if you can see the kind of tone change, um, once the coronavirus really hit, hit hard. Um, and I, after that that started, we, we had these people that were sharing how they were surviving and sharing how they um how what they're doing in their classrooms and ways that they could make it easier for other teachers and it all just comes down to people trying to help others um which makes me just reminds me how much I love this community,
0: yeah, I don't know about you, but i'm I think I'm looking at this point almost as many episodes I've put out have been after coronavirus as much as (laughs) uh, it's kind of crazy that this has all happened. Uh, And I don't know about you. It feels like I'm like a a veteran now because of all the other podcasts that have cropped up in the midst of all of it. So, um, so we'll definitely link to that season finale because this will come out after that. But you have this webinar coming up. You have, Uh, Some classes, some offerings for those young music teachers. Tell us a little bit about what you have coming on the horizon.
1: Yeah. So I have a free webinar. It's going to be on June 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, If you can't make it, still register and I'll send you the replay. Uh, Basically, it's going to go over the things that you can do now to make your first year, or even if it's not your first year, to to make that the first day strong and starting the year off strong. We're going to be setting goals to help you grow as an educator. Um, We're going to be setting Setting, learning how to set clear expectations and procedures so that you don't lose your brain, <laughs> and, and, and also just yeah. making sure that you have um, the community built of music educators that can be the difference between feeling supported and feeling overwhelmed. Um, so I, if you could put that link in the, the show notes, that'd be really appreciated. But again, Absolutely. that's going to be on June 28th um, at 8 p.m. Eastern.
0: Man, that's really exciting. So what related to that Or in general, what's some advice you would give someone, you know, maybe it's somebody that their first day in student teaching or, you know, a music ed student who is not quite sure, you know, if they should stay in it or, you know, people are worried right now about funding in general. What would you tell somebody a couple years down the road from them of why they should dig their heels in and give it a fair shot?
1: I think things go up and things go down, but I just would ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. You know, a lot of us, we have such great, such strong passion uh, when it comes to music or music education or whatever field you're in. And don't get me wrong, this is a really scary time we're in, especially once we start, you know, hearing mumblings of budget cuts um, and things like that. And we we know how those typically go. Um, (laughs) Just remember that, Everything is temporary. You know, keep fighting the fight and then worry about things when you have something to worry about rather than getting stuck in the here and now when you're just waiting for something to happen. Like right now we don't know anything about how the fall is going to go. I know that it's going to be different, but I can't, I can't spend any of my time worrying about it because that's not going to help anything. Once I have some guidance from my state, my district, maybe then I can start doing something. But right now, you know, just take some time for you over the summer and just keep doing what you do.
0: I would love to even go back and just think about as a teacher, what have been some of those, you know, you, you have to keep it as anonymous as you need to. What are some of the moments that you look back and you're just super happy for, for what you've been able to accomplish, what you've seen grow in these students? What are a couple of those stories?
1: I so many stories too many to count, but I have one student who rarely looked like he was participating in music. He rarely Mm -hmm. played the games. He would most of the time was sitting in my chair in the corner. Um, but when it came to the concert, he was dead center. He knew all the words, (laughs) he knew all the actions, he knew how to play the games. And that's kind of that, that joy that I saw in his face reminded me how how much I love my job and how much I, uh, how blessed I am to be able to make music with children and get paid for it.
0: It's really crazy when they surprise you like that in whatever the circumstance, like, Oh, wow. It makes you also realize like, Oh, I need to make sure I'm being, you know, above reproach and whatever all the time, because they're watching a lot more than I thought they (laughs) were. So, uh, well, I think this has been awesome, man. Is there any other things that you want to touch on today? That
1: Basically, I just want to end with wherever you're at, whether you're teaching, whether you're a student, whether you're just randomly found this podcast for, for no other reason than <laughs> it, you clicked on it. Just remember that this summer is going to, there's going to be a lot going on. Take some time, relax, and we'll figure out what, we, what we'll do in the fall when it happens.
0: Well, I always like to close out, and you've already talked a lot about this, but I would love to synthesize with the last two questions. It's the practicality and the philosophy between how and why do you inspire other people to make more music?
1: I think it really comes down to, I want. I know that the majority of my students aren't going to be music teachers. They're not going to be professional musicians. That's not my goal. My goal is to make lifelong music appreciators of the arts because they're going to be our voters. They're going to be our taxpayers. Um, and they're going to be making these decisions. Um, and I just, we're coming to how it's meeting the students where they're at and kind of meeting those needs and realizing that what for one student is not going to look the same for another student. Students learn differently. They, they in, inhale knowledge differently. And some of them, they're going to be pulling your, you're they're going to make you want to pull your hair out. when they're over in the corner, not participating, but when they get on that stage, they're going to know all the words.
0: That is fun. Well, Bryson, where would you like people to wax up their surfboards to surf the world wide web and find everything you're doing?
1: So my kind of homepage is at that is www dot To register for the free webinar, you can go to that music com slash start strong. And I can also be found on Instagram and Facebook
0: all right bryson i'm feel like i'm gonna have to have you back and talk about uh some music music education strategies especially for people that are struggling um, doing online teaching or anything like that but for now i think that's a good one people can head over to your webinar if they want to start strong and for chris and for bryson everybody remember give more grace share more love and to make more music All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Bryson. And if you did, you can always leave a rating and review in your podcast player. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can give a thumbs up, subscribe, and hit the bell icon to be notified when there are new episodes. Other than that, you can support the show through donations, which right now are still going to be the bridge. You can learn more about that in the show notes. And there's merchandise you can buy, but the best way you can support the show is, like I said, that rating and review and just telling someone, telling the music lover in your life about this show. So text it to them. It could be someone you know, it could be family, it could be a total stranger that you meet in an elevator, except right now, I don't know how many people are meeting in elevators. But um, thanks for tuning in today. We're going to roll out with a little sample of a song that Bryson did with one of his classes. It's an example of early music education and just a joy. So tune in to this shout out and remember, give more grace, share more love, and make more music.